purple elephant shower thought of the day, which, you know, I get from Reddit. You go to math class in school so that you can unlock different buttons on your calculator. And then, you know, you end up in the real world and you don't use calculus ever again. This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. All right, so today's episode is awesome because I'm reconnecting with uh, a teacher that I haven't talked to in a while. He is currently a marketing teacher at in the Kirkwood School District. He's been teaching there for about 13 years and teaching in general for a couple more than that, 15 or 16 years. And I'm here with Bryce Bunton. Welcome. Well, the first question I, I always like to open this up um, to you is just, I kind of want to hear your origin story. So how you wound up as a teacher, and more specifically, how you wound up teaching marketing and teaching business to high schoolers. Yeah, when I I went to Mizzou, I didn't really have any idea what I wanted to do. I started out as an engineer major because I was good at math and science, and that's what everybody kind of told me to do. But once I got into it, I realized I wasn't very passionate about that at all. And so I think it was early sophomore year, I kind of reflected on what it what it was I actually loved to do. And some of my favorite experiences, playing sports had always been one of those things for me in high school. Um, I'd always kind of been a, a, a math guy and a numbers guy. And um, both my parents are entre- were entrepreneurs. My mom was actually a kindergarten teacher as well, but then started and ran her own business for a few years. And uh, my dad here just in the last couple of years has sold his business that he ran for 35 plus years. And so I, I was always involved with that kind of growing up. And, um, you know, when I got to reflect about those things that I loved and it was you know, playing sports and uh, I, I always enjoyed business and uh, investing and things like that. And uh, I also had some opportunities in high school to get to coach some of our junior high teams, uh, track and football. During our last hour of our day, we uh, captains and leaders of the, the senior class got a chance to do that with our junior high kids growing up. And so that was a, an experience that I always really valued. So I started kind of looking. That's what ultimately started me down that education path a little bit at Mizzou. And um, once I once I got going, I got a chance to do a little bit. You know, you don't really learn a whole lot in college. Um, kind of like you mentioned at the beginning of the show coming in, that um, actually prepares you for the real world. Um, it, it's it's once you get in that you really get it. But I, I'd, I'd done enough to know that it was going to be a really good fit for me. I, I'm social person. I love challenging people. I love watching people grow. Uh, sports has just always been in my blood and uh, getting to coach and then also getting a chance. Really, I got in it for the coaching, but I, I fell in love with the teaching. And so ultimately, I just took my passion for coaching. I also took it in the classroom. And, uh, you know, marketing, I didn't know was going to be my, my kind of niche. Um, I was good with business and numbers and just really enjoyed just um, the creativity and the challenge and uh, just the the constant problem solving. And so uh, once I got into it, I got, I mean, I just got thrown into a brand new program. Uh, my first year at Afton, I got hired in there and they'd never had a marketing program or a class. And I got hired to start one and I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, luckily I had some really good mentors and uh, people around me that, you know, kind of supported brand new teachers and just gave me enough to be dangerous and let me kind of dig in. That first year is really about survival <laughs> as it is in just about any career and job. But then once I had a chance to get through that, had a chance to kind of step back and just say, okay, how do we start to make this my own? What's working and what's not working? And uh, really got a chance to evolve. And um, like I said, I started at Afton about three years in there had a chance to really feel comfortable and start to get my confidence in what I was doing, and how I was doing that. And it was right at the end of that third year, um, Mr. Nixon had reached out to me and about a, a position at Kirkwood and he'd seen some of the stuff that we were doing. I was doing in DECA with the Afton kids and uh, said, you know, you might, we'd look, love to have you over here. We're looking to get our program kind of fired up, kind of like what you've done at Afton and well, the rest is history. So yeah, so you've, I didn't realize, so you'd always been kind of in this marketing role, and it seems like 
when it came to Afton, you said, you know, that was the first time they'd done it. Were you given a lot of leeway in terms of what you were actually teaching? Yeah. So, you know, that's one of the cool things. I've been very fortunate because I know not all teachers are, are fortunate in this way. Uh, at Afton, since it was it was a brand new program, I was given really 100 percent leeway with what I did. And, you know, it was kind of a over the next couple of years, we're going to kind of build and write the curriculum and figure out what we're going to teach and kind of build the program. And um, and we did that. And there was another guy, Mr. Hildebrand. I think you had a chance to meet him. Uh, when you were doing DECA, I think he was at Afton when you were there. We usually shared a bus together. We went down to like state DECA and stuff like that. And, uh, he did a phenomenal job kind of taking that program over there and built all kinds of different classes and, and synced them up together, sports marketing and uh, different things, kind of like what we did at Kirkwood as well. But um, yeah, we, we just had a chance to um, tons of leeway, which was really cool. And, and Kirkwood's given me that same leeway, which is was really important, I think, in our space because as you know, marketing changes so fast. And so for us to, to lock into teaching a specific kind of content, you know, honestly, any given year is a challenge. And so there's some things that are standard and we need to make sure that all kids understand, but there's a lot of things that we can be pretty dynamic with and, and change and be flexible. And that's something that Kirkwood has always supported as well. So Yeah. And that's something you want from like you said, from any marketing and entrepreneurship, which we can touch on a little bit, but I just want to hear kind of in your words, from your view, the evolution of the business department at Kirkwood. And we'll start from when you jumped in and kind of where it started and how it's evolved to where it is now. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, you know, we've had multiple different staff members kind of come and go since since I started, and some through retirement and some through career changes and, you know, just a variety of different things. But um, you know, when I started at Kirkwood, it's kind of like starting all over again, even though I'd been teaching for three years, it was, you know, you're coming in to a new place, new students, new classes. Uh, the, the class flow wasn't the same as what I'd kind of set up at Afton. And so it was, it was all really new. It was, it was tough. And I was coaching football, you know, on top of that. And so I had, you know, it was busy. Um, but you know, took a, took a year or two, you know, first year is kind of like just figuring it out. Like you kind of just let everything happen that year one. And it, you got to kind of watch and observe and make small changes that are, that are good and you can kind of control in that first year. And then the second year you start to really kind of test out some different things that you're feeling about. And then you're, you're tweaking those things as, as you're learning about them. And then by the time you hit that year three, I just feel like, I mean, this is what, it's just always worked for me. I don't know if it's the same for everybody, but I always feel like it takes about three times or three years, whether it's three semesters or three years, but the, I feel like the third time you get to do something, you really start to tighten it up and it gets really solid. And so by about that year three, I was feeling really good with some of the things we were doing, but um, Mr. Nixon and Mr. Was Mr. Horn there while you were there? I, no, I don't think so. And so I don't think he was either. He's at Westminster um, now, but. Uh, the three of us really dove in um, if just a few years in and said, okay, you know, this world is really changing, especially after the financial crisis of that kind of 08, 09 time period. And the economy has changed and the world changed. And we said, you know, what is it we really care about teaching kids? And that's where what really took us down that entrepreneurship path. I'm not going to jump the gun with that yet, but we really asked ourselves and really challenged ourselves, like, what is it we care our students know how to do? and are good at when they leave Kirkwood High School. And we spent a lot of time researching what colleges were doing and researching what was going on in the industry. And really we came back to, to kind of one basic fundamental thing is we full-heartedly believe that we need to teach you all how to be really good problem solvers and to be flexible and adjustable. And ultimately we wanted to teach you how to be professionals too. So how to be problem solvers and how to be professionals were you know, our two things, and we're still really strong on that today. And that was, you know, eight, eight to eight to nine years ago is kind of when we started down that path. And, you know, we, we honestly threw away everything that we had ever used. And we started from scratch across all kinds of different classes. And um, it was scary. And it was a ton of work. But, it, you know, it didn't take us long when we started seeing what was happening in class just to validate and confirm it was the right thing to do. Uh, and now that we've seen the world change again here in the last, you know, nine to 12 months, um, 
it still holds really strong and true. So, you know, having been through a couple, you know, economic cycles in just the last uh, decade or so, what what we the foundational problem solving, flexibility, professional creativity, those things, you know, I feel like we were even maybe a little bit ahead of the curve from what lots of other people were were doing and saying. And now you see lots of people talking about, I think they call them 21st century skills or they used to call them soft skills, but <clears throat> We, we were on to that, you know, quite a while ago and really put our focus on it. And I think we're, we're pretty happy with it. And um, it, it's just a continual process. We're always trying to get better and improve and do things differently. And, you know, we figured out how to teach online this year. <laughs> it wasn't something we'd ever planned on doing, but I think that we honestly, we got pretty good at it. We found some things that we could do better and more efficiently online than we can in the classroom. And that was a, that was a big, you know, that was a positive surprise. There were some things that were not easier this year, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, I mean, online classes, that, what a better way to teach flexibility yeah, and no problem kidding. solving. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think those fundamental things are so important. And yes, I agree with you that you were ahead of the curve. I mean, even because I mean, I'll be honest, I haven't taken um, business classes in college because that's not what I am desiring. I'm going to learn that on my own. I'm not going to take a big lecture hall class for it. But even in my film classes, and I'll say not everyone is focused on uh, video marketing and videography, but it wasn't until this year, this semester, in one specific class that I had a teacher say, build a portfolio, build a director's reel, build a website. Like none of that was said in the past two years, which I could have been doing. And of course, I can't. I can't put all the blame away. Like it's on me as well, but right. it just wasn't enforced. Right. You know, and, th- and that's something that I think that society and education um, just, just does a, like, I don't know, you know how I feel about like standardized tests and things like that. You know, we had some conversations about that. I always have with my advanced marketing students. You know, I just don't believe in that stuff. I just feel that there, there's education is still really stuck in, in an old, you know, multiple decade old system that um, just is not near as relevant. I think that we need to be teaching kids how to do things, not how to memorize things. And so I, I just um, think that we need to do a better job of that. And, and and I'm sure we'll talk about it here in a minute, but yeah, you know, that's really what we focus on in our advanced marketing class and, yeah. and I trying just to make to... sure everybody gets those experiences. Yeah. I just wanted to jump on a little uh, tangent of you saying like, not memorizing things, but kind of knowing them. I've just been uh, kind of getting more into this idea and I still don't know enough about it to explain it, but this like first principles thinking idea. And I keep this one guy I've been kind of looking at. He mentions uh, Richard Feynman, who I think, you know, was a pretty big physicist or something along those lines. But he has this big lecture where he explains calculus starting from basic counting and it's like a pure like logical step-by-step jumping that makes sense and there's no like saying all these big calculus terms it's oh we can relate it back to counting two plus two equals four and you can see all the steps and i think that's what's important that's what creativity is is not having to memorize the big jargon and being able to say oh it's just this simple and you may like splash some big sounding words, but it's really these basic principles. Right. It's, it's, it's those foundational things that if you can learn that foundational process and get better at it and faster at it, and the more you do it, the better you get and the faster you'll be, um, that has to increase your probability of success right at the end. And so that's, you know, the more times we can get students to go through that process and just to be aware of it, you know, that's what we really want to do. And same, same with you, as far as like creating videos, every time you make a video, you get better and faster, right? Oh yeah. It's, 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 it's not, it's just like practicing, you know, football. Every time that you go to run a route, uh, you get better and more efficient and faster. If you really are paying attention to those little things that need to happen, same with making blocks. And so like, it's, it's not rocket science. It's, it's a really simple thing, but it's about understanding what you're doing and why you're doing it. And then being able to really own that and then improve on it as you move forward. Yeah. And I think it's easy for people to see how that muscle memory can get created through something like sports or music. 
But I think it's much harder and it has been harder for me to see how something like starting businesses, even if they're totally separate things, how are they going to relate to each other? Because it's hard to like think of those principles of like, okay, I'm being persistent. I'm getting out of my comfort zone. And those are going to be relevant to anything you do. And I think it's just harder to see with something like marketing and entrepreneurship. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's why we, you think back to some of the classes, I know it's been a while since you were there, but like some of the projects we do, like almost every project has that repetition built into the beginning of it, whether we're analyzing and researching the brand or building a new brand. And then it's like, okay, now let's build those next foundational blocks on top of it. And then we might add some new nuances as we go back through, but we are always, because really it's the same process. And so um, even if it's completely different industries or types of businesses, like you're still going through the same problem solving process, you know, whether it's the, you want to call it the lean startup method or you can call it the business model canvas. Like there's lots of different kind of fancy ways to look at stuff now, but ultimately you're, you're going through that problem solving process and it's, it's, it's a pretty fixed process that you go through and um, you, you just have to figure out how to apply it in those different scenarios. Once you get confidence that you can solve it and that there are multiple solutions, then, you know, watch out. Yeah. And I want to dive into specifics a little bit because I want to hear some of the, your favorite projects that you've done throughout your years of teaching at Kirkwood, whether that was when I was there at school, because I could tell you my favorite projects, but I would want to hear like, of all time, kind of your favorites. Right. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, some feedback from you about some of the things that you now removed a few years, found super valuable, but you know, some of the, I think we're doing some really cool stuff right now. Um, a couple of years ago, we started running the social media accounts for Woodpet Nation, which is the student section. And when we took that over, it, it kind of bridged the gap that was missing. I think when you were in class, we worked with clients, we brought in external businesses and got to help them and partner with them and and i thought that was and i still love it i think it's awesome real world experience that we're getting you all at the high school level that honestly most kids aren't getting until their junior senior year of college in this space and so we're giving people that head that head start there but i always felt that a little bit was missing i felt like the the gap that we jumped to when we were working with businesses was big and the students were always a little bit nervous and timid and they needed a little bit of a bridge, like a safety bridge. Like I need pushed out of my comfort zone, but I still need it to be safe. And, and the Woodpet Nation has kind of lended that to ourselves because when we produce that content and we plan and we build the marketing strategy for all those social media accounts and the different sports teams, you know, at the end of the day, if, if we make a mistake or we have something that doesn't work well, it doesn't cost anybody any money. Right. You know, where when I'm trying to think of who we work, who did you worked with Club Taco, Club Taco, Start Right Waffles, Start Right was really cool. But like think back to some of those experiences when you were recommending how they spend their marketing dollars. Like if you mess up, there's a lot of pressure on those decisions. And so the, I think that us getting a chance to run the Woodpet Nation accounts was it's been a great bridge and a safety kind of bridge to let kids really feel and get better at those hey let's build a marketing plan let's think about our calendar strategy let's, let's actually create content let's go through that process of um you know multiple iterations like the first time you build something it's really not ready to be published and most high school kids just think it's a one and done like get me out here grade me move me on right and, but that's not the way that it really works in the world like you get feedback and then you go back you make some edits you get some more feedback you make more edits you, and so it's given students a chance to kind of do that and build their own confidence in something that is real in public still. And they're super excited about and usually very passionate about. Then we can bring in some of those external businesses and those real world clients where we help them. And, and that is given a chance to take that kind of real world piece to that, to the next level. And so, um, you know, in, in, just the excitement from kids wanting to work well on Pep Nation and be part of the student section and, and the Friday night football and the things that we've done has been a lot of fun to watch and to be involved with. And, uh, but ultimately I, I think the best stuff that we do is getting to partner with real businesses in the advanced class. Yeah. And I would totally add to that, that I, I agree with what you said. Like I loved working with those 
kind of external businesses, but there was the gap. And I remember specifically with Start Right Waffles, um, Jimmy and I, Jimmy was a, a friend of, still a friend of mine in high, uh, from high school, but we did like a spec commercial for them. And it didn't really, I didn't know what I was doing in the sense of like, I didn't know what they would do with it. I wouldn't, I didn't know how they would advertise it. But in my head, I like, oh, I worked so hard on this. I thought they would do something with it. And I like couldn't even wrap my head around how to get it to a certain professional standard. And now I think I have a better idea of that, of what does it take? And I think part of that for me was learning kind of some of the just diving into what is Facebook ads, what is Google ads, and just kind of testing that and maybe losing a couple bucks, but really playing with that. And then you realize it's not as scary as it seems. Yeah. And and that's what also, you know, one of the challenges, but it's also kind of my style. And, uh, and you know that like, I'm kind of all about throwing students in to the deep end without a whole lot of prior knowledge. And if they've got some great, let's build on it. But you know, the, the, the style of, Hey, let's, I'm going to lecture this. I'm going to tell you this, this information, these strategies, and then let's go practice it. Like I'd rather throw you in so you can see where and how we need it. Then let's figure out what works and why it's going to work. I think having that, that, um, just it put together with, um, the why and that relevance is like, you, I mean, there's so many things that I did throughout high school and college that, and I remember sitting there thinking, when am I ever going to use this in the real world? You know, and that's the last thing I want to ever do in my classes is have students sitting there saying like, when or why is a business ever going to do this? So I always show them, this is what the business needs. Let's figure out what it is and how it works and why it works afterwards and, and or while we're doing it. And, you know, we never, we, we, we knew what some of the businesses were going to need. Like you were going to do, we do. And I didn't used to teach Facebook ad campaigns and, and some of that stuff, but we do now. I actually teach that pretty hardcore. We've got a really cool simulation that we use that, that teaches that and simulates, you know, us running a Hootsuite account and being social media marketing managers for, for an online company and they get a weekly budget and we run campaigns. And, and so now I, I teach a lot more of that kind of, but that's that content shift, right. With relevance and what's going on in the industry um, and what, and what we're doing, what we're helping clients with and, and um, us being in the social space and teaching kids how to think about, you know, building digital campaigns is something that's not going away in the future. And I feel like that's one of the spots where, uh, if we do a good job teaching students how to do that, it's going to give them an advantage and an opportunity as they move forward. And also, if you can build a digital campaign, you can build a non-digital campaign, right? So, like, uh, and, and digital is where they spend most of their time. So, it's also where they uh, get to see the most experiences and examples of what different companies and brands are doing. And so, it's, it's, real, it's a real natural place for us to teach. Uh, the marketing strategy right now. And and when we work with our small businesses, it's what they all need help with. And it's, and so it's, it's a great fit. Yeah. And I just, um, in Columbia, I was working with a like pop-up shop, kind of a gift shop. And my mom, uh, knew him from college and I was able to basically have full control of his social media and marketing. And I learned more just from those like few weeks about Facebook ads and Google ads than I had ever learned and probably could have possibly learned. Even if I took a class all about it, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah. Without that context, it's so tough. And so that's why I try really hard in our classes to build the context in first, then let's talk about the strategy. Yeah. And I'm just curious when you're teaching kind of these new like paid platforms and Facebook ads and Google ads, do you just say, well, you have the simulator, but let's say if you're working with a local business, what are the students actually doing? So it just kind of depends on, um, you know, what the, what the client needs are and, you know, what their budget is and what they're, they're needing. Sometimes we're, I feel like we always, we always try to start with uh, just the, the, the content strategy that they can own. First, you know, because if we can assist in content creation and content planning and just that core strategy and the development of the content, 
and we can help them kind of build like a really strong profile that's there for their followers and maybe even help them grow the follower base without having to spend those promoted ad dollars, then that's a win. You know, if we can help them find that consistency, whether it's, you know, three posts a week, maybe it's one a day, maybe, you know, depending on the platform, maybe it's even more than that. It just depends what their team looks like. Um, but, it, you know, once again, it gives my students a chance to practice uh, building actual real content, building it for whatever that business's customers are, what they need to keep them entertained, thinking about what the goals are of the business and how we integrate all that. Um, and, and then we, you know, depending on the company, we'll dabble a little bit in the paid, but not as much there. And so that, I'd say most of our focus is on that. Let's let's really tighten up and help them think about an, an owned content strategy that they can produce or we can assist in the production, uh, kind of like what you you and Jimmy did for Club Taco too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that um, kind of organic growth because that's what I'm doing for just this brand, the podcast and then the blog and films associated with it is kind of the natural growth and it's very slow I'll say but that's something I'm expected but I think what I want to talk about is kind of this idea of permission marketing um, in the sense of you know if people choose to follow a business then they're more likely to listen to what they have to say I'm just curious when you talk about content for a business and you can pick a specific one that you recently worked on what kind of content do you look for so i'm guess i'm asking for like a specific case study of a business you've worked with oh so let me try to think here um so last year we worked with um, a really unique brand called mighty cricket um oh protein powder yeah, so you're I've familiar with it. Yeah, and so I we came I came across her. She had done this really cool uh, campaign. I think it was like a year ago, October, or it was sometime in the fall. She she had done this really cool kind of grassroots marketing campaign that caught my attention. I think I saw her on LinkedIn or Twi- somewhere. I saw her through one of her social channels, uh, but she had challenged local businesses to make a dish with her protein powder and then feature it like on their menu. And a couple of the Kirkwood businesses had done it. And then a couple other restaurants, I think that's maybe where I came across it. Like it was one of the restaurants that my wife and I frequent had, had done it. And I'm like, that is a really cool idea. Like not only are, I mean, obviously in the United States, eating cricket powder is eating ground up crickets for a protein source is not, normal right and so there's multiple barriers like we, we gotta convince people that it's not weird to eat ground up crickets <laughs> we've got to uh convince people that uh the protein source is legit we that it works you've got to also convince people that um, it, it tastes okay right and so there's there's multiple hurdles that exist there um and so that was a real challenge and it was a real challenge for high school students because uh, it's not a market that they're they're very familiar with. I think that if high school kids are, you know, adding protein supplements, it's probably, you know, for their sports related or workout related. And they're all grabbing name brand stuff from, you know, GNC or uh, whatever the other protein shops are. And, you know, just mixing it in. But that stuff's really expensive, right? And so, uh, and it doesn't taste good. And so, you know, when you started talking about, okay, so who are the people that need protein supplements, you know, and would they be willing to think about an alternative? It, can you, can they beat the price? Can you beat the flavor? Can you match it? Can you, like, what are those, what are those value adds? And so like, what is that? And so we always just start with the customer when we think about uh, approaching that. And so, you know, what are the, what are the, what are the problems that the customer has that needs solved? And what problem does the product solve for somebody? And so like, what are those problems? And then when you start to think about that, then we kind of build out, once we identify like one real specific problem, like let's just say that uh, we've got a, um, you know, a a 40 something um, male that, that wants to supplement his protein. And so, 
if if I'm using something, maybe maybe it's price right now that I'm looking to save some money. Then I, I might go shopping for alternative protein sources that cost less, or maybe it's about convenience. And so I need something that's really quick in the morning as I'm getting my kids ready to go to school and I'm trying to get ready to school and I don't have time for a regular breakfast, but I need something. Or maybe it's for, for my workout or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's actually a meal replacement instead, you know? And so really understanding like that all those problems are legit. And so I think what most students do and what most early businesses do is they try to tackle all those things at once or like with one kind of campaign. And, and what you really need is you need smaller, tighter, more niche campaigns targeted at all those different things. And then really specifically targeted that customer persona that you kind of developed around that problem. So are we targeting somebody around the price point? Are we targeting somebody who's looking for that meal supplement? Are we targeting somebody who's looking for convenience? Because once you pick like that one kind of pain point and figure, okay, how does my product solve this? And how do we do it better than the competitors out there? You get a chance to drop it in front of them on their social media platforms Mm -hmm. and in their inbox and their email and, um, you know, whatever that kind of grassroots method is. And so, and so you did, um, did you um, do like break it up into different groups and have different students work on different kind of pitches? We did. And so um, one of the, one of the biggest barriers that, um, that she was having was just the hurdle of crickets. It was just that like, the, it was a fear. It was like a fear factor of eating crickets and, and she, like she, when she came in to meet with the class, she brought in uh, puppy chow, which everybody loves a good puppy chow, right? But she used um, cricket powder instead of like flour as one of the ingredients. And you ate it, you'd never know any different, right? And so like some kids were scared to death to eat it. And some, everybody was pretty timid at first, you know, and then most kids ended up going back for seconds and thirds until it was all gone. And so like, if she was trying to think about like a much bigger thing, she, she, you know, she sees countries where they don't have consistent meat protein sources. So can this be a supplement, you know, growing crickets, like, I know it sounds weird about cricket farms, but like growing a cricket farm is way easier than raising cattle, you know, and, or chicken or, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like. And so, um, we, as we thought about, okay, how do we just, expose people that this is this is there it's almost like an awareness campaign you know and then like what age group she wanted to tackle the high school group just to try to get over that and so we looked at doing some stuff there and like how do you how do you educate teams but you know our team's going to be your your major buyers and so um, we didn't spend a ton of time on that but we did just do a little bit because it was us and it was my students Uh, but then we also looked at you know how do you talk to somebody who's already taking protein supplements, whether that's, you know, whey protein or whatever, and get them to maybe consider shifting. And so we, we, it was really almost like an educational and awareness campaign is what we ended up kind of putting together and recommending. We had different groups of students working on different components. Some were doing content creation uh, for her social calendar uh some were actually kind of building out like the strategy like how are we going to do this long term what's this look like week to week month to month um well because i'm just think... curious um if you think of it from like an overall theme what was kind of the strategy you used to convince people that it that it's okay to eat crickets so you know i think uh, she did a lot of taste testing at different events. And that was something that we had a group of kids working on. Like, where are some places that you can go? So like pre COVID, we used to work out at orange theory, you know? And so I bet like once every couple of weeks, there was somebody, some local entrepreneur in there with a little table set up afterwards. And I got done working out and it's like, Hey, you try my little protein thing. It's our after or after. So like we talked to her, like, you really just need to be grassroots and you need to kind of offer yourself up because she didn't have a big marketing budget she was brand new she was new she was grinding through trying to you know start a business on her own and she had she had great marketing experience you know from a different prior job and career and so she was working on trying to put those different things together but um it was really about just trying to be grassroots and local and let you know 
let the restaurants help you convince people. And because like really once people got over that fear factor and tasted it, then it, it was like, oh yeah, I'd consider this, right? But if you're at the grocery store shopping and you see like a cricket on a package, you're like, no, I'm not buying that. And so um, it was really about, the, everything really evolved about finding ways to get people over that initial fear hurdle. And if you can get people over that initial fear hurdle, usually with a taste test is the best way to do that. Or with like a friend testimonial, like a customer testimonial, somebody else taste test, then you were able to, to kind of have just a regular kind of normal strategy put in place then. Yeah, because I think, uh, well, that just makes me think of something like the Impossible Burger, mm-hmm. which, yeah, or I Beyond mean, Burger, whatever, all those brands, yep. they all have, they've almost, I feel like, kind of hit mainstream, especially no, now that they they're in, you know, Burger King and whatever other fast food restaurants. Yeah. But <clears> I think their kind of hurdle is very, very similar where it's, I don't absolutely. even want to try that because it's, plants it couldn't possibly taste like a burger so i think right. that's really smart um of her to and just of your class to kind of think about getting it in front of people in kind of a, a taste test or um yeah just like try it before you say anything about it right and like and there's a validation piece too right that goes with your existing brands you already trust right so like when um, was it Popeye's? It was one of the first chicken places that, that did some of that, and it was like crazy. Didn't they have a spicy chicken that was just like wildly popular when Impossible first rolled that out? And then McDonald's brought them in, and then you know they partnered. They partnered with Start. They partnered with almost every major, or you know, one of those two brands is in. And so, like, you get that those brands you trust validate it for you. Then it's easier for customers to get over that hurdle, and that was something that. Um, Mighty Cricket had done, I guess, when they partnered with local restaurants that my wife and I trusted. They helped us get over that hurdle. Like, oh, you know what? Maybe we will try that. If these companies we trust are doing it, then, and so if if there's that opportunity to partner uh, on that, I think that, you know, it just helps with that validation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just kind of want to pivot for a little bit and hear just What's the last great book that you read and why was it a great book? We talking about business books. We talking about books for fun. I'd prefer business books, but if you had a a fiction book or something else that really stood out, I'd love to hear it too. Um, trying to think what the name of, so one of the books that I read this summer that was really good. I, I kind of got back into investing uh, in the market a little bit. I kind of stepped away. Um, I've, we've been doing real estate investing. And so I read a great um, book on real estate investing this summer and then another one on stocks and investing. Uh, my, my real estate one was raising private capital because I was looking to partner with some people on doing a couple of real estate deals and learned a ton about uh, borrowing money, uh, using other people's money to finance some projects. And that's something that I've been looking to do. So that one was really good. And then the other one that I read was Trading in the Zone, which was a phenomenal book about uh, stocks and investing. So I've actually read it twice uh, this this year. I, the read the first time I was like, oh my goodness, this is this is me. And then I went back a second time and, and um, tried to kind of pick out some different things that you know, that were really specific and more timely. And um, so those are a couple of the more like businessy books. I haven't read a lot of marketing. I say marketing has been weird this year. Right. And so everything that companies and, and businesses have planned went out the window in March. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, so, and um, it'll be curious to see how, what things look like, you know, on the back, on the back side of this. And so will we kind of go back to, uh, the way things were, or, you know, especially from like a digital marketing standpoint, ultimately it's about delivering to the customer in, in a convenience standpoint. And, you know, as, now that we, sh- we know how to do our grocery shopping online, we know how to buy everything online that we weren't buying online, you know, that digital marketing is even more important and powerful now than it's ever been. So, oh, yeah. Well, I think, and this is just a, kind of a prediction, I guess, from what I see is that this new standard is 
everything can and should be able to be delivered if it needs to be. And it should all be quick. Like that isn't something you can really advertise as your selling factor. Like yeah. everyone it's not can your deliver value stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's not your value proposition. Anymore. So I think they're going to have to find new things. And I don't know. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to club taco because I just talked with Gerard. I don't know if you saw what he did, but he I did the igloos. Yeah. Yep. In that, because I talked to him about it, and he was saying that he's been booked up for weeks from yep. that. Like, and he just put yeah. one post out there. Yeah, well, and, and I think that, I mean, I think that in a in a, in a time stretch that normally is very challenging for small businesses and restaurants. Anyways, kind of the post January stretch. Like now, they've got something that they'll probably keep for, for the long haul and they'll be able to bring back out every winter. Um, I drove, it was a couple weeks ago. We drove downtown. We were just taking the kids around looking at Christmas lights one night and uh, we drove by club taco and they were slammed and every other business was dead, you know, down Kirkwood road. Well, I mean, you can't be dying inside right now. And so, uh, but they were, they were busy and there were people in and out and at the outside bar and, and so I agree. I think it was a great marketing play and an idea. And I'm sure it was out of desperation, you know, right? And um, as, as all the local restaurants and businesses are struggling, it's been an absolutely awful year for them. Um, but I, they've also had to be creative and um, try new things. And, you know, like Dewey's does curbside. Dewey's is our favorite pizza place in Kirkwood. And um, I hope they never stop doing curbside for me to be able to pull up out front and them drop the pizza in my in my car is so much better than me having to park in downtown Kirkwood and walk into Dewey's like it's clutch. And so I hope that some of these things that businesses were kind of forced to do, they understand uh, how much it's improved the customer experience. And well, I hope some of them will stay. Obviously, I can't wait to actually be in Dewey's and have a fresh pizza delivered to my right. table and eat it there. But uh, I think there is a lot of value um, yeah, I in think, some of the, the changes that have happened. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things has been with movies, just to kind of pivot of like what's really changed, and I don't know if it'll go back fully, is feature films being released straight to streaming services. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm torn on Like I, my my brain tells me that financially the, that it won't. I think oh, yeah, that, I completely agree. You know, when Di Disney and these other production houses have figured out that they have a platform that they can, they don't need to be sharing the money with any of these other companies that, and they can still get their product out there and it can still be just as popular then, and they can drive, you know, continuous revenue from Disney plus or, you know, whatever the different platforms are that they're releasing stuff on. I, I just don't see it, but you know, as somebody who loves to get a big bucket of, movie theater popcorn and go chill in the, in the new recliner format, which I really enjoyed that change in that industry too. Like I'll, I miss that a little bit, but I'm also not in a hurry to go to a movie theater right now. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those things where I would want to go back there once things ease up. It's not like movie right. theaters are dead. Cause I think there's always going to be some people that enjoy yeah. that experience. Um, Absolutely. But okay. I want to transition one more time, and I want to kind of dive into entrepreneurship in all okay. facets of it, because I know that uh, Mr. Nixon is kind of the leader on that. But I think didn't you guys kind of shift and take more of a collective role? Or could you kind of explain entrepreneurship at Kirkwood? Yeah, so Mr. Nixon definitely uh, kind of drives drives the the car for the entrepreneurship kind of path. Um, we've got multiple people who teach startup, which is kind of our like lower or like level one class is kind of how we call it now. It's what we want our freshmen and sophomores to take. And we want them to take that class before they take any marketing classes. It's kind of the class, the first class we want them to take. And in there, we really give them a taste of entrepreneurship, but also a taste of marketing. And so it's a, I, you can't do, but you can't do one without the other. Like, honestly, uh, you can do marketing without being an entrepreneur, but the best form of marketing is when you're starting something new because you get to do all the different pieces. And so, um, so yeah, our startup class and then our entrepreneurship classes semester long. And the challenge there is to get students to, uh, to start businesses by the end. And, um, you know, I, I, every once in a while I come across some things I, 
uh, was picking my kids up at, at Kaiser a couple weeks ago. And uh, on the road, there was a guy who had a mobile detailing business. And I know lots of our students used to work at Waterway and people would always talk about wanting to, oh, you know, I can do a mobile detailing business and uh, we can go to people's houses and do this. And, um, and sure enough, there was one, you know, a couple blocks from the high school. I looked this guy up and he's a Kirkwood grad and probably used to work at a car wash and thought the same thing, but this guy actually, he did it. You know, he got his trailer and set it up. It was a really cool little decal and his trailer was decked out. So every time he drove it around the neighborhood, it was, you know, advertising for him. And here he was, he was grinding and washing, you know, somebody's car right in their driveway. And so I was like, um, you know, there it is. And, And I think the, like, honestly, like desperate times force entrepreneurship, right? And so, you know, COVID, people lost their jobs. And, but if you still need income, you have to figure out a source of income. And places like Etsy have exploded. Uh, people selling things on like Facebook Marketplace and creating, you know, um, I'm, oh, I can't think of the one in St. Louis. There's a really big Facebook group in St. Louis. It's crafted in St. Louis. It's on Facebook. But like you get on there and you can find people making just about anything. And some of it's really cool. Like I got my wife's Christmas present off of there and um, like people taking skills they have and, and selling it. And then, you know, there's some marketing around that. But at the high school, you know, we just we want to give kids that taste of like starting something. And like you talked about earlier, you know, it's the process and repetition. We know that. I mean, most likely none of the businesses that students start in our classes are the one, right? Everybody wants it to be the one, but we know that it's not going to be the one. And it doesn't even, I wouldn't even say it has to do with their age. I think anyone starting the first one is not going to be the one. It's not going to be the one, but like to, and like, we know that, man, we don't want to be crushing anybody's dreams as they're, (laughs) as they're just getting started in our class. But like, you know, we also want people to be realistic and understand that, you know, life's a process. Entrepreneurship is even more of a process, but the more times you go through starting a business and solving problems for people and building your marketing plan around that, like you're going to keep getting better at it. And eventually you're either going to find something that you love and are really, really good at, or you're going to find something that people really need and want. And that will be the one it's like, and in, even if you never hit the one that the skill and experience that you're going to get through that is just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I will say one of the things that I feel like I didn't realize in high school, but I am realizing now is I remember being in those classes and thinking the thing I had to come up with had to be so revolutionary, had to be a new technology. Yeah. yeah. And I think what I'm realizing as I'm trending towards the path of wanting to do freelance work and freelance videography, stuff that isn't that wild, that's been around, that I didn't invent by any means, but realizing that I can like kind of carve out my own niche and um, maybe add my own kind of personal touch that makes it unique, but the overarching theme or the overarching industry doesn't have to be invented from the ground right. up. You know, um, I was there's a guy who does uh, videography for the chiefs now and he is really good. I mean, his stuff is so good. Um, I saw him post a week or two ago and he, he was, he's kind of started his, I feel like in the last like month or so, he's really started kind of promoting that, like get out there and try, get out there and do something kind of mentality. He's trying to kind of coach people up in that entrepreneurial mindset a little bit more. Um, And he posted his very first like video he ever did. And it was a group of people playing Quidditch from Harry Potter. And, and it was like, and he said, like, he said, if you want to, he said, you want to be a videographer, go shoot, get your camera and go shoot. It doesn't matter what you shoot. Like if you're any good at it and you can edit and tell the story through video, it doesn't even matter what you're shooting. People will see that skill, like just get, get, get it and go. And, and that's, and that's, and it's so hard. Like you talk about, like, you know, Mr. Nixon and I have talked so many times over the years, like maybe we give kids like 10 business options that we know they can actually get going. Right. And like, we take some of that, like that, Oh, I've got to be the most innovative person in the world, like out, like, let's take that out of the equation and say, okay, here's the business options you have to start this semester challenge first sale, next sale, let's grow. Right. 
And, and we haven't done that because, you know, there's, I mean, there's a lot of really cool ideas that come through there. And so we don't want to stunt that uh, creativity and inspiration when students come in with it. But Honestly, it might be more practical sometimes for us to think about it that way. But yeah. uh, Mr. Mr. Nixon does a great job kind of inspiring and trying to keep people moving in class. So. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would just say I don't even attribute it to, like, wrong teaching. I think it's just the media of Apple and Microsoft and only tech companies and these very seemingly – I, I don't know how to code. I mean, I barely, I can do a little bit of uh, web <laughs> stuff, but that's you, the extent. You and me both. <laughs> and I think the just media, all we see is, oh, Silicon Valley, that's where you get big. And I think because of that, I was kind of ignoring my own backyard and realizing there's so many opportunities to serve local businesses and just other parts of the country. I mean, it doesn't even have to be tech-based. Yeah, one of my one of my good friends, um, she got into you know journalism and really wanted to do like bro- news broadcast, uh, and she did you know Mizzou the news at Mizzou, and then she did some in Springfield, and she came back to St. Louis and did a little bit here, and you know after being in the news, especially in St. Louis, she's like, this is not fun to to do the news in St. Louis, um, and and so she went freelance, and you know she got in the spot where she got to pick the stories that she you know, got to do. And so she was picking things she loved and she was making way more money uh, freelance as well. And so there's, there's so much value in the freelance space, especially in the video and digital uh, marketing side is going to, just going to continue to explode and be huge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more in demand every single year, I think, at least for a while. Yeah. Well, let's um, stay on that of trends that you see. So whether yeah. that's specific marketing trends like a certain strategy on social media or just anything that you might think of. Because, I mean, and we can talk about TikTok. I don't use TikTok. I'm sure high either. schoolers do talk about that. Do high, do mm-hmm. your students ever talk about that? Yeah, they're they're bare. I mean, TikTok and Snap are still the two the places where they spend most of their time. And Instagram. It's weird, right? Like, when I want to text one of my friends, I use messages. When they want to message one of their friends, they use Snapchat. And so, uh, but then, you know, Instagram's that spot where everybody posts their beautiful pictures, right? And then, and then, then there's TikTok. And I, I got on TikTok once. I'm like, I am, I don't belong here. <laughs> and so, and, but, you know, I think that there, there's opportunity. Like, I don't know if you, have you followed what Walmart's kind of doing there with some mm-hmm. of their, no. their thrifting and uh, kind of retro stuff. Like, They've done major partnerships with TikTok influencers to move apparel uh, through all of this, and have done a phenomenal job. Uh, and and there's there's a lot of that the influencer marketing on TikTok is crazy right now. And so I think that that's obviously been a trend for a while, and I think it's going to continue to be. But I think instead of like that monster influencer who's got millions of followers, I think that micro influencer is going to is going to continue to have more and more value find somebody at that local level that's got you know ten thousand followers i think that that's uh especially when you think about like the small business side of things because like honestly like small businesses they can't afford to be you know paying somebody who's got millions of followers on these platforms anyways but the people that are those micro kind of influencers and like that like that five to twenty thousand followers like they're still trying to grow themselves as well so they might be more willing to take a flyer on you. You take a flyer on them. And if you can find somebody who's like geographically in your area and you're a local business anyways, there's a lot of value there, whether that's on Instagram or TikTok or, you know, a different platform. I think that there's um, just a lot of value in that kind of geo mm-hmm. uh, influencer piece. Um, as well, far as other trend, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to tack on that where it seems like, Something like Google ads or Google just makes most of their money from advertising and kind of the long tail, the big bulk of their income is coming from those medium to small businesses. And I think it's interesting hearing you say that about the influencers where the smaller and kind of medium sized influencers are going to get hired by these smaller businesses. But I almost wonder, and you may not know, you don't have to know, but isn't that kind of cutting out the the middleman, the TikTok and Instagram? I mean, wouldn't that? I feel like those big companies would want a piece of that, 
and I don't know, is there, I don't know. That wasn't really a question, just an observation. Yeah. Uh, obviously they want a piece of anything they can get. I feel so like, kind of like you talked about, like Google ads can be super intimidating, right. To learn. And so there's a major hurdle there. So like for a small business owner to say, you know, I'm going to start running Google ads, like unless they hire somebody that knows what they're doing or they commit insane amount of time to learn, they're going to throw that money away most likely. And so um, I think that there's that fear factor there. And, and like you go back to the thinking about like what you guys did for Club Tilka, like can you, you see the results as a small, small business owner? Like, do you get to see the results from your marketing dollars? And if you can't answer that with a definitive yes, then it continues to be very difficult to do. But that's what Google's so good at, right? Is they can show you the analytical data of, you know, the click throughs and the conversions and the time on your website and all those pieces. And same with Facebook and Instagram, like, you know, their analytics platform and they're, they're, they're targeting and retargeting, you know, when I, I know that uh, my wife was shopping for snow bibs for my kids and every website I go to, I'm being chased by snow bibs, you know, for the next couple of days because we didn't check out at target. It, it's, it's crazy, but you know, they've got that technology that's, that's built there. And so they definitely want some of that and they're the best at it. But ultimately, most business, lots of those small businesses don't have the dollars to be doing that. So they'll look for those other creative ways that are a little more grassroots, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm excited to see kind of what that becomes because – and this kind of is similar to the uh, what we're talking about. But if we're touching back on freelancers and let's say like a digital marketer or a videographer, do you think that there's value – or I guess I'd, I'd think there's value, but this idea of building up your personal brand while you're doing freelance work. So whether that relates to um, a videographer, a marketer, or like um, the person, your friend who is doing journalism freelance, like is there that importance now that social media is so prominent to build up your own kind of following while you're working with other businesses? Yeah, I think that, you know, I think it depends on, there is, number one. I think you should always, anytime you're doing good work and work that you're proud of, it should always be out there for people to see, right? And because you never know who's looking. Um, as, as you'll get, as you start getting connected with different people, you'll find how small of a world it is. Um, Mr. Kirk, he's a new teacher at the high school. Um, he had a student that works for the Orlando Magic now, and we had him on to talk with our advanced marketing class a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, he uh, went to Mizzou and he did journalism there and he worked, he was part of Mizzou's kind of original team that changed their sports social media accounts to be cool like they are now uh, with the graphic design and the edits and the players. And he was a part of some of that original group and the creativity that kind of started all that. And, you know, his, he ultimately ended up working, doing some freelance for Nike and the Seattle Seahawks and working a couple different places, but it was all about who he knew. And it was because he, his work was on his LinkedIn page or it was on his website and people were able to see it that like, oh, that, you know, one thing led to another thing that ultimately, you know, his work had already vouched for him before he ever even got an interview or even got the call request. And, uh, we did some work with Musylvania, which is an ad agency in St. Louis this fall in my class too. And multiple of their employees had had the same kind of experience. Like because they had their portfolio, because they were putting on display the work they were doing, whether it was on LinkedIn or, uh, you know, wherever that platform was, they were, kind of, it was Venmo or um, not v Vimeo and, um, you know, wherever they were kind of putting their stuff out there, people were seeing it. So people already knew them before they were ever in the room. And they're like, we need to think about bringing this guy into the room or this girl into the room and seeing if they're interested in helping us go to the next level. And so I always think putting your stuff out there is, is important. And like, honestly, like we've started to talk to our kids about, like we created LinkedIn profiles when you were in high school, right? And, um, you know, we're, we still do that. And I know we've got kids creating more content and, we're trying to figure out like how do we get them to put a little bit more stuff out there, even though they don't need it now, but they will in a couple of years. 
Oh, so. yeah. And, you know, I think that's a, a harder thing in high school where people like marketing is so such a broad industry where one person may be interested in analyzing the data, another in the creating graphic design stuff. And it's it's so hard to know that early. Yeah, so I'll just and we're kind of wrapping up, but I do want to touch on one more thing of kind of the so the other big kind of department at Kirkwood is journalism. And I'm curious from your perspective, what do they do? What could you take away from them and what could they take away from your department? Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Eden and Mr. Owens run a phenomenal program. And, you know, one of the things that, that I've always just admired about their program is, just the buy-in and that kind of commitment from the students is just always there. Like kids that are on the call and on the yearbook staff, like they're always all in, you know? And, and, and so like you take a step back and you kind of ask yourself why, well, why is that? Um, and it's because they've built a culture, right? Uh, that's another great book I read is culture code. Um, I read that one. It was probably um, off the top of my head. I can't remember. I can double check it because that yeah. sounds interesting. It's great. It's a great read. That's something that we've been trying to think about is like, how do we tighten our culture up and have like our work environment and our employees or our students like all in on what we're doing? That's something that um, we want to improve. And, and I know they have, and we would definitely like to get better at. Uh, but ultimately, you know, it's about, and I think they get that buy-in, not only because they have great leadership and, um, the great culture that they've had for, you know, a really long time, but it kids see the value in it, right? It, it, the experience, they understand that this is real. It's not like other, it's not a test. It's not a grade card. It's, it's real. And, and they get a, they get to have that ownership. And that's one thing that, that we believe in as well is we want it to be real. We want our students to have that ownership and um, just love the experience. And what do you think they could take from you, from you, the business department? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I think that, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that we have a lot of flexibility because we're not tied to, like, a production every year where they are, you know. And so, but, like, I don't know that's necessarily something that they can take because, like, that's just what they do. They produce their the call and the yearbook and uh, Mr. Owens does the KHTV and their video production. Um, and so they're always doing different shows and uh, it's, everything's been weird this year in COVID, but you know, in a normal year uh, they're doing some cool stuff. One thing that we have and talked about, and we'd like to do more is we'd actually like to partner with the broad, the video broadcast to do more like live sports coverage. And so uh, Mr. Owens and I have talked about that. Logistically, it's really tough though. Uh, but it's something that now that teams are streaming all their stuff because we can't have fans at it, I think that there's going to be an opportunity once things kind of do start to maybe go back. And even if fans can start to come back in, I think that there will be more demand to have things Yeah, because not everyone's going to want to go back right away. On a regular basis. And, and even when they can all go back, that doesn't mean that they all will. And so I think that um, – there might potentially be a really cool opportunity there for us. Okay. And we're at the one hour mark. So I'll just hit you with one final question that I like to end all the podcasts on. Can creativity be taught? Why or why not? Yeah, it, def it definitely can. Um, there, there are some kids that just naturally have like a different kind of artistic talent. I think people, associate artisticness with creativity often and i'm not artistic at all and i always remember people like feeling i wasn't creative that doesn't mean i can't come up with creative ideas and so i do think it can be taught and i also think that we try to teach that by continually having kids create i think the more you create and the more you dig in and look at what other people are doing and think about how do you make that my own we use this a lot we call it our inspo we got to go find our inspiration it's so like we might go look at Mizzou football's inspiration for a social media post for Pat Nation, you know, and okay, somebody else did that, but like, how do we make it for Kirkwood now? 
and where does that come from? And I think the more confidence that kids get, the more ability they have to take inspiration in other people's creative and then become become their own. Yeah, that's a really good answer. Uh, that's all I had for you. If you want to, you can shout out any of the um, social media accounts of you know Woodpep Nation or anything, and I will link those down in the show notes if you have anything. Okay. Yeah, shout out Woodpep Nation on Instagram and Twitter um, and at Kirkwood.deca on Instagram. Uh, you were a longtime member there and represented us well, and uh, we're getting ready to gear up for competition season again once we get back from break. Yeah, well, I wish you the best of luck with that. I wish you the best of luck with all the marketing stuff, and I hope that all the sports marketing will trend a little bit uh, more stuff to do in the near future. But Yep, yep. Thank you so much for coming on and I'll see you. It was great chatting with you, Sean. Thanks. This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week.